0: This week, Rev. Wendy continues her series based on the book The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. Today's talk centers around the law of intention and desire. Rev. Wendy discusses in practical terms the idea that everything, when broken down to its essential components, is energy and information, and that intention and attention are the keys to manifesting our desires. We're going to be talking about the law of intention and desire. If you're with us for the first time over the last few weeks or the first time ever, we've been exploring together Deepak Chopra's book, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. And today we're in law number five, the law of intention and desire. And I couldn't help but reflect upon this basket that sits in my office and has since the end, the very end of last year. How many of you recognize what is in this basket? Many of you have something in this basket. If you were part of our year end burning bowl service, you would have written a letter to God or a vision letter. And these sit in my office, they're in sealed envelopes. You sealed them with your name and address on them. And in many ways, what these are, are expressions of your desires and your intentions for the new year. And they sit in my office in a place where I can see them many times throughout the day. And frequently, I will take some of them, and I'll read your names to myself. And I don't know what you've written on your pieces of paper, but I think about you. And I hold you in my heart and in my intention that whatever you have written is coming to pass for you. And occasionally, most recently, I've started to randomly call some of you and leave messages on your phone saying, hey, you are one of the people who I was particularly focusing on this morning, helping you with the intentions you have set and the desires of your heart. So this morning, what is it that you deeply desire for yourself? And what is it that you have been intending for yourself? You know, in our exploration of these seven laws, of seven spiritual laws of success, we're challenged to make sure that we understand the richness of the word success. And when I say richness, I don't mean monetary richness, but the richness of success as it relates to well-being, as it relates to good relationships, as it relates to a meaningful life purpose, as it relates to good health, as it relates to all the things that we might say add to the quality of our life experience. We're challenged to remember that. And we're challenged to look out upon our life. And as we are journeying toward bringing forth more of what we actually desire in our life, that we take a look and see how are we unfolding in the process of that. Are we experiencing a sense of greater joy and a sense of greater fulfillment? Because truly, if we are practicing these principles, if we are really practicing these spiritual ideas and and tools and techniques, then we will see our lives being transformed. Probably not overnight, probably not as quickly as we would like them to change, but we will begin to see... Very definite positive changes across all the different dimensions of our life. This idea, <clears throat> excuse me, this idea of the law of intention and desire is very much at the heart and soul of what we practice in unity and in metaphysics. We believe wholeheartedly that we are meant to be and need to take ownership of being co-creators with spirit with God, with the divine, whatever name we want to give to that presence, co-conspirators and co-creators to bring forth a life that we desire. Chopra writes in the beginning of this chapter that inherent in every intention and desire is the mechanics for its fulfillment. Intention and desire in the field of pure potentiality have infinite organizing power. And when we introduce an intention in the fertile ground of pure potentiality, we put this infinite organizing power to work for us. Take that in for a moment. We put this infinite organizing power to work for us. In the early service, I always share some selected readings. Our format for the early service is a little bit different than this one. And one of the quotes that I shared in the early service was this one from the German theoretical physicist Max Planck. He said, we must assume behind this force the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is a matrix of all matter. We must assume behind this force, the existence of a conscious and intelligent mind. This mind is a matrix of all matter. I think he's pointing to this quantum field, this field of pure potentiality out of which everything that has taken physical form has emerged. And when we operate in awareness of that with intention and with deep desire, We cannot help but begin to carve out for ourselves more of a life that we want to be experiencing. One of our foundational textbooks in Unity is Lessons in Truth, and many of you in this room have studied that book by Emily Cady. You may recall that Emily Cady writes about desire. And she says this about desire. Desire is God knocking at the door of our consciousness with that greater good for us. Do you like that? I like that. Desire. Do you have any desires? Your second service. You're supposed to be way more responsive. (laughs) Not a trick question. I'm not asking you to reveal anything. Do you have any desires? I hope you do. I hope you do. Here's another quote from from First Service from Michelangelo. Lord, grant that I may always desire more than I can accomplish. Aren't you glad he desired more than he could accomplish? Look at what he left the world, right? So you don't need to share with me what it is that you desire. But you want to know what it is you desire. Again, Emily Cady says, desire is God knocking at the door of our consciousness with that greater good for us. Desire is important. It comes from the Latin that means from the father, of the father, of God. And I would challenge us to, to look at desire a little more deeply, to look at it in the context of the soul. What is it that your soul desires? What your soul desires is a little bit different, probably, than the more superficial desires that we might also have. I would challenge us, or invite us, to think about the desire of the soul from the standpoint of the qualities of being that add to a rich and meaningful life experience. And I would also challenge us to look at the worldly things that we desire, and I'm not saying that we have to put those aside, but to look at them with deeper eyes, with eyes of wisdom, and ask of ourselves, what is it about that thing that causes me to desire it? What is, what's beneath the physical form of that thing? And when we ask that kind of deeper question, I think we do get in touch with the desire of the heart, the desire of the soul, and we will find that oftentimes what's beneath that thing is a quality, an experience we want. It could be the experience of feeling that we are enough. It could be the experience of the feeling that we are loved. It could be the experience of the feeling of safety or security or comfort or well-being. When we can get in touch with those deeper desires, we are getting in touch with something really powerful and important. Because have you noticed that we can oftentimes get especially through hard work and effort, we can get that physical thing that we desire only to discover, but wait, wait, wait a minute. I'm still not feeling what it is that I'm wanting to feel in my life. Nod your head if you know what I'm talking about here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So desire is God knocking at the door of our consciousness with that greater good, but I'd say it's also with that deeper good. And that desire is also valuable from this standpoint. That desire is like an aim. Desire is, can be like a goal. And have you noticed that in order to fulfill our desire, in order to achieve our goal, that somehow we have to grow and change? Right? And I think that that's almost the more important agenda the more important spiritual agenda for us, that in order to achieve the things that we have said are important to us, that we have to grow and change in the process of doing that. We are put here not to remain the same. We are put here to grow in consciousness, to grow in awareness, to grow in the very state of becoming. A little more, actually more than a little more, from from Chopra, Chopra on this idea of the law, of intention and desire. He writes, This law is based on the fact that energy and information exist everywhere in nature. In fact, at the quantum, in fact, at the level of the quantum field, there is nothing other than energy and information. The quantum field is just another label for the field of pure consciousness or pure potentiality. And this quantum field is influenced by intention and desire. This quantum field, this field of energy, this field of information is influenced by intention and desire. I can hear the words of my unity minister decades ago, Reverend Robert Stevens, saying, The universe is malleable to thought, to consciousness, to intention. And this quantum field is influenced by intention and desire. Let's examine the process in detail. A flower, a rainbow, a tree, a blade of grass, a human body, when broken down to their essential components are energy and information. Aren't you glad you're involved in a spiritual teaching that embraces the emerging fields of science? right, I'm sure appreciative of that. The whole universe in its essential nature is the movement of energy and information. The only difference between you and a tree is the informational and energy content of your respective bodies. So look out at the trees. As I read this to you again, he writes, the only difference between you and that tree out there is the informational and energy content the informational and energy content of your respective bodies. He goes on to write, on the material level, both you and the tree are made up of the same recycled elements, mostly carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, and other elements, in minute amounts. You could buy these elements in a hardware store for a couple of dollars. Now, is that not humbling? I mean, the Bible tells us we are wondrously and marvelously made. And this is true. We are wondrously and marvelously made. And in all honesty, so is everything else. I mean, the fact that that anything exists is a miracle in itself. But Chopra challenges us. You could buy these elements in a hardware store for a couple of dollars. The difference, therefore, between you and the tree is not the carbon or the hydrogen or the oxygen. In fact, you and the tree are constantly exchanging your carbon and oxygen with each other. The real difference, the real difference between the two of you is in the energy and in the information. We would call that, we do call that, Consciousness. Consciousness. It's our consciousness that sets us apart. Think about that. It's our consciousness. That's the difference. Who is responsible? Let's see if you do better than first service. Who is responsible for your consciousness? I am. Okay, you did a little better. When I asked that question at first service, they were. Just really quiet, right, Keith? They were kind of mumbling under their breath, and I said, "Okay, let's make it safer." Who is recon- who is responsible for my consciousness? And they did the same thing. They were so loud, so loud. Why is it so much easier for us to acknowledge that about somebody else, right, than it is about us? It's just human nature, and it's okay. It's okay. It's okay, and it's important though that we understand that we are responsible for the development, the development, the unfolding, the evolution of our consciousness. And to the degree that we practice ways of being, ways of thinking, ways of seeing, ways of reflecting, ways of listening, to the degree that we practice the kinds of things that will help us expand, evolve our consciousness, awaken us, to that degree we will see our life fundamentally change for the better. Chopra goes on to suggest that actually we are kind of like a wiggle or a wave or a localized disturbance in this field. Think about that for a moment. A wiggle or a wave or a localized disturbance in this field of pure pure, Pure potentiality. We are that and we are capable of influencing that. And that is where intention and desire become oh so very, very important. And so what is intention? What is intention? I think intention is to make very clear to the universe what it is that you want to experience. And notice I said the word experience. I think desire tends to be about the thing that we want, the it, whereas intention, I believe, has more nuance to it. Intention speaks to the experience that we want to have, the quality, the way of being. Intention isn't necessarily something that we can say we've completed and finished like we can say, of a goal. If I have a goal to earn X number of dollars, if I have a goal to be able to run a marathon, if I have a goal to be able to lose a certain amount of weight, it is clear when I have completed that, correct? Right? And that has its place in our life, and that's well and good. An intention is a little different, though. An intention isn't necessarily completed in the way that a goal is. What do I mean by that? There is tremendous value and power in starting our day getting real clear with ourselves and the universe what it is we want to intend, what it is we want to experience or bring forth. Intentions can be somewhat simple. Do you think you could set as an intention the intention to be more mindful today? Could you set that? And would you say, that's probably a simple intention. It's very clear, right? The intention to be more mindful. And to the degree that you lived out that intention, you set that in motion, do you think your day would be different? Do you think it would be different on the positive side or the negative side? I think so too. Do you think if you... Set the intention to be more mindful that you just might show up in your relationships a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think you might drive a little bit differently? (laughs) I think we probably all would drive a little bit differently. Do you think you would listen a little bit differently? Yeah, yeah. To set the intention. I noticed this morning. that I set some very specific intentions for how I wanted to be with you, with First Service and, and with you. And in ways I can't completely put my finger on, I know that from my end, my experience today is different than other Sundays when I haven't set quite the same kinds of intentions with such deliberate clarity. I really challenge you to make it a practice, first thing in the morning, what is it that you intend for the day? Do you intend, do you want to intend to be more mindful? Do you want to attend, intend to pay attention to your breathing? Do you think that could be valuable? Why? What would, what would the benefits be to be more mindful of your breathing? Calm. You're in the moment. You're in the moment. Yeah, that, that's a really important one. Peace, do you think your body might do a little bit better? <laughs> I bet if we could measure physiological activity in the body to the degree that you're more mindful of your excuse me, of your breath, your body would probably be much less in that fight or flight stress related response that many of us live, live in most of the time. It would probably be much more reflective. I had somebody at first service ask me afterwards, well, if I, if I am more mindful, if I am more aware of my breath, how am I going to get my work done? <laughs> and I was glad she asked the question. I said, because you're not, it's not an either-or. It's not an either-or. It's bringing the attention in the moment as you can. It's not an either or. It's not an either or. So this idea of setting the intention kind of pulls all of our energy toward an aim, toward a, I don't like the word target, I'll, st- I'll stick with aim, toward an aim. I came across this last night as I was searching for a few more things on the internet, and I really liked this, the idea of intention. Someone once said, That intention is like a dinner bell. It tells all the cells of your body at the same time what their current focus should be. (laughs) It tells all the cells of your body at the same time what your focus should be. In the practice of hatha yoga, one is often told to be mindful and to set one's intention to set one's intention to be in the pose, to be in in the stretch. So I want to invite you to think about intention from the standpoint as having to do with something personal, something inwardly transformative more than a physical thing. Chopra, in this chapter on the law of intention and desire, suggests that attention and intention have to go hand in hand, attention and intention need to go hand-in-hand. Hand. So when I set the intention to be more mindful, or if I set the intention today, I really intend to be more present. P- more present to whatever it is I'm doing, more present to wherever I physically am, more present to whatever conversation I'm, I'm a part of. What to, when I set the intention, then I have to increase my attention. I have to pay attention to the intention I have set, right? And what usually happens to us when we set an intention and we start paying attention? What do we usually notice first? What we're not doing, right? Where we suddenly missed the mark. Raise your hand if you know exactly what it is I am talking about. Don't let that be a reason not to set the intention though because it's a really good thing when we begin to notice where we missed what we were intending on doing or being. Because how else will we ever make any improvement? You hear me say that again and again and again. So I think Chopra is correct when he says that attention and intention really need to ride together. Let me close with just a few words, more words of his, and invite you to take a look if you're studying along in the book with a five-step process that he gives in, the, in this particular chapter. But he writes, intention combined with detachment, it's a real Eastern flavor there, right? The idea of detachment. Intention combined with detachment leads to life-centered present moment awareness. And when action is performed in present-moment awareness, it becomes most effective. Your intent is for the future, but your attention is in the present. If you have life-centered, present-moment awareness, then the imaginary obstacles, which are more than 90% of perceived obstacles, disintegrate and disappear. The remaining 5 or 10% can be transmuted into opportunities through one-pointed intention. One-pointed intention means holding your attention to the intended outcome with such unbending purpose that you absolutely refuse to allow obstacles to consume and dissipate the focused quality of your attention. Learn to harness the power of intention, and you can create anything you desire. You can still get results through effort and through trying, but at quite a high cost." And then he goes on, and we're not going to teach from this, but he says that there are five steps to being able to increase this this law to be more effective in its use. And it's number one, slip into the gap, which has to do with meditation, the space between thought and response. Slip into the gap, number two, be established in that state of being in that gap, and therein release your intention. Number three, to remain in a state of self referral or connected with that higher self. Number four is about the detachment piece. So you've planted the seed, the intention in the, what he calls the meditative gap, and then you remove yourself, the ego, from being attached to how it's going to play out, or when it's going to play out. And then the 50s says, and I love this, let the universe handle the details. <laughs> you like that too, I'm glad you do. Namaste and God bless.